Man, I am so excited today to introduce our speaker, Steve Carter. Steve is a pastor, he's a teacher and a writer. You know, one of Steve's greatest desires is to make Jesus known into every space and every conversation, you know, that he has. In fact, he's written a book called The Invitational Life where he calls people to risk themselves to align with God's heartbeat for humanity. He's also the co-host, you know, of the Home Team podcast, which is a weekly show that talks about the intersection of sports, culture, and faith. And as a sports guy, I absolutely love that. Steve lives in Phoenix, you know, with his wife, Sarah, and their two kids as well. But what most people don't know about Steve, you know, is that he went to Hope International University, which is the same college that myself, my family, my, my brother went to as well. And uh, when I was a senior, you know, in uh, in college, uh, Steve was a freshman, sophomore. Uh, he was trying out for the Cal State Fullerton basketball team. And uh, one of the legendary stories about Steve Carter, who is a good basketball player, but he walked on to Cal State in the middle of a practice. You know, he was debating back and forth with other members of the team on whether or not he could dunk. And when you see him, you'll be like, there's no way that that guy can dunk a basketball. He says, no, I can really do it. No, I can really do it. So the team gathered around and Steve went up and he dunked it and he came down. Oh, you're just so excited. And then he immediately ran out of the gym and went to his dorm. You know, didn't even stay for the rest of practice. So that is legendary Steve. Um, so I'm excited, guys, that we get a chance to hear from this man uh, that I just so respect and admire for his passion for Jesus, for his word, and for the ability he has to communicate God's word to us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is an honor to be here with you all. Um, I, I didn't really know he was going to tell that story. Um, <laughs> I don't look like I can dunk, and I think I only dunked a handful of times, but that day, I felt good. I felt good. Had my Wheaties. Felt really good. It's good to be here. Valley Real Life. Man, I love Dan Shields. He's a great, great teacher. I love what he, he shared last weekend, um, and just talking about the series, the separation of church and hate, and talking about civility, and how we've lost the art of civility. Uh, a number of years ago, I found myself in Indiana. Don't know if you've ever been there during the summer. It's humid. It's filled with mosquitoes. And I was getting ready to speak at a massive youth conference. And I'm walking out of my room, and I'm walking towards the auditorium. And as I'm there, there's two groups of students. And they're, like, staring each other down. And they're screaming at each other, which just felt really, really odd, especially because it was, like, a, a Christian conference. And I'm like, what are they yelling and one group of students, as I saw them, they're like clapping their hands and they're all chanting. And I'm like, what are they saying? And there's another group of people who are just screaming back their chant. And I had no idea what's going on. So I get really, really curious. I walk up and I start to see one group of students going, boiler up, boiler up, boiler up. And seriously, none of you know what I'm doing right now. It's a Purdue Boilermaker chant. Like, Purdue actually has fans. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so they're chanting, and there's these other kids who are like, Are you? Are you? Are you? And I'm like, Indiana Hoosiers? Okay, okay. This is what you're yelling at. The doors open, and these students run down. One whole group of people, Indiana fans, and they're looking at each other, screaming at each other, Are you? Purdue fans, all on this side, boiler up, boiler up, boiler up. And I'm like, this is so weird. 
I'm trying to get ready to teach, and I just feel like God's saying there's something here that you should do something with. And in the middle of like the worship, I'm like, I'm going to do entirely different teaching. So I get up on stage, and I go, hey, I want all the Purdue fans to get on stage. Like this whole section comes up on stage. I want all the Indiana fans to come up on stage. There's like four Notre Dame fans and three Butler fans in the back of the room. They're like, what about us? And so they're up there. And I'm like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose one person, one person to represent Purdue. I want you to choose one person to represent IU. So they choose one person. I go up to the Purdue person. I'm like, tell me why Purdue is the greatest school on the planet. This kid, 16 years old, goes, I'll tell you. Because we produce Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Bob Greasy, and maybe Kyle Orton. And I was like, that's a, that's a stretch, bro. That's a stretch. I go to the Indiana fan. I'm like, hey, man, hey, tell me, tell me why, why your school is so good. He's like, Assembly Hall, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Alford, Bobby Knight. And I'm like, well, he did choke a player and throw a chair at a ref. But that's cool. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Now what I want you to do is I want you, Purdue fan, to tell me something good about IU. The Purdue fan steps back. No joke, 16-year-old kid steps back. He starts to tear up. And I'm like, hey, man, hey buddy, it's okay, man. Just, 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 just let us see you, man. Just one thing. That's all you got to do. And he goes, oh, my parents split when I was young. I was raised by my grandparents, and then my grandfather got cancer, and it wasn't looking good, and in our little town, the doctors were like, we can't do anything more, so the only thing that we can do is send you to the hospital at Indiana University. My grandfather, who's like everything to me, taught me about Jesus, taught me about Purdue, goes to IU, and through prayer and through the wisdom of those doctors, He's still alive. And I'm so, so grateful. And then all the IU kids are like, that's right, we save lives. We save lives. And I'm like, okay, calm down now. And then I'm like, IU, what do you, what's so great about Purdue? Tell me one thing. And he sits there. He's thinking. He's thinking. When all of a sudden, one of the Purdue fans goes, where are you going to school next year? No joke. IU guy goes, I want to be an engineer. And in the Midwest, Purdue has the best engineering program. And so they've given me a full ride scholarship. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm taking my talents to West Lafayette. And I just sat there and I was like, do you guys understand? You were standing outside screaming at each other. And you failed to actually see the good. The good. You know what this is called? It's called Twitter today. It's called Facebook. You know, when I was a kid, the superpower that I wanted was to be able to read people's minds. And then they invented Facebook. <laughs> and now I don't need that superpower, nor do I want it. And the truth is, we've lost the art of civility, but we've truly lost the art of dignity, dignity, giving people the benefit of the doubt, 
Like actually, dignity is about what you see and perceive in another person. And for many of us, what we see and perceive about another person isn't first and foremost good, it's what's different. It's like the Purdue kid seeing the IU kid, seeing the difference, and the IU kid seeing the the Purdue kid and going, seeing the difference. And we, friends, have failed to see the Imago Dei, the image of God, in other people. And when this happens, what we end up doing is we begin to see the labels, the differences, and we see what separates us, but not what actually unites us. Do you have any people in your life, if you're really, really honest, what you see and perceive about them is not the image of God, first and foremost, but how they're different from you? And see, when this happens, you have to understand that you are choosing, making a choice to begin the Bible in Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. And most Christians, at some point in their life, start looking at people by what separates them from that person. What's the difference? What their political party is? what their beliefs are, what their values are, how they raise their kids, and all of a sudden, they fail to first and foremost see that that person was created in the image of God. They just see the difference. But when you actually live as a Christ follower, you have to begin where the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. And in that chapter, God creates man and woman in his image. And here's what you got to understand. Every single person you come across... Whether they are a believer in Jesus or not, were created in the image of God, which means they have something to teach you about the holy, good God. And many of us miss getting a chance to understand who God truly is through another person because all we see is whether they're a donkey or an elephant. All we see is their past or their struggles, or their addictions, or what team they root for, and we choose not to see the inherent good. That's what I want to talk about today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We will begin, and it says this, but you, this is Jesus speaking, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he's literally saying, guys, guys, do you understand what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to come upon you in power. And that word in Hebrew and in Greek for power is where we get the word dynamite. There's like this dynamic power that's going to come within you. And you're literally going to be my messengers, my storytellers. You are going to bear witness to what I'm doing, what I'm up to in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you got to ask yourself, how would a first century Talmudim, that's Hebrew for disciple, a disciple understood when Jesus says this? And these disciples, they're high school age. They're not like 28 years old like we've seen in Easter pageants. 
They were high school students. And Jesus is trusting the story of grace and peace, the story of the cross and resurrection to a bunch of high school kids. And he goes, the spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to have this dynamic power and you are going to bear witness to what I'm up to. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what was Jerusalem for the Hebrew disciples? What were they? Jerusalem represented the familiar. And truth be told, we all have a familiar place. Jerusalem had the best schools. Jerusalem had the temple. Jerusalem had great restaurants and food. Jerusalem had, like, money. And, and every one of us has a familiar position. I grew up in Ventura County, California, between Malibu and Santa Barbara. Perfect air quality, except when there's wildfires. And the crazy thing about it is it was, a, it was a city filled with Volvos and soccer moms and travel leagues and not very much diversity, upper middle class. That was my familiar. That's what I was raised. But the, these, these disciples, when they understand Jesus' words, is he's like, you can't stay there. Because my story is beyond the familiar. The truth is, though, most Christ followers want to try and create the safest life possible. Want to try and create the safest life possible. And we don't ever want to leave the familiar. I remember the story of, like, Francis Chan. I used to go to his church when I was in high school. And Francis one day ends up putting, like, a table, like a chair out on the stage and he ends up like doing this thing where he goes, can you imagine in the Olympics, if there was someone who was going to do like the balance beam and begins to like see it and gets ready and begins to run toward it instead of like doing some kind of awesome flip, backflip, whatever they do, just ran and held on to it and just was holding it and just held it for like 30 seconds, and then just rolled off after 30 seconds and went like this. Like, what would the judge give that person? The judge would be like, uh, 7.3. Well done. We'd give, like, the lowest grade possible. But I feel like this is how many of us live our life. We are just holding on, like, God, give me the safest life possible. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get sick. I don't want COVID. I don't want to, like, talk to people. I don't, I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to me. Like, if I'm, gonna, if I'm ever going to die, let me die in my sleep. I don't want to die, like, in a drowning. That's why I live here in Washington. Like, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't, want, I don't want to, like, want to die in an earthquake. I don't live in California. Like, I just want to, like, I just want to, like, die in my sleep. And then, then I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to show up to the pearly gates, and I'm going to go like this to the holy judge. And what's God going to say? Well done! You live the safest life possible. You should live in Irvine, California. I'll tell you what, like you live that, that is the most dangerous life because everything becomes about your safety. But here's the, here's the truth. You miss out on the Spirit's power. And what God wanted for these disciples was to leave the familiar and go see what he was up to. And so where did he want to take them? He first wants to take them to Judea. And how would these disciples understood Judea? Judea was the people that were less than. The people that are less than. I landed in the Spokane airport. I get off, I'm walking, and all of a sudden I see this guy in black pants, kind of blue shirt. He's at a desk. 
He's got the letters TSA over his chest. And I watch how someone just looks at this guy. Passive aggressive mumbles under their voice at this person. And I just could just tell that this person was viewing this TSA not with dignity, but as someone is less than. You have any of those people in your life? You just look at them and they're like, they're less than. Like Ohio State Buckeye fans, less than. There's just something wrong with them, right? Why would they actually like a team that breaks all the rules? And literally, it's like we have these people, maybe by their profession, maybe by the clothes that they wear, maybe about their zip code, maybe because of their past, but we look at them and we see them as less than. You know what's amazing is Jesus goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have the Spirit come upon you, and you are going to be filled with dynamic Spirit power, and you're literally going to go to the people in Judea, and you're not going to live like you used to live. You're going to see them as I see them. It's a game changer, friends. But it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't want to just take you to Judea. He wants to take you to Samaria. And who's Samaria? Those are the people you can't stand. See, there's people in our life that we think are less than, and then there are people in our life that we can't stand. For all of you Seahawks fans, you can't stand the Niners. I saw it last weekend watching online. You can't stand them. You're like booing. You're like gnashing your teeth, ripping your clothes. I saw it. Scary. But here's the thing. Like we, we have people in our life that we think are less than, and then we have people in our life that we just can't stand. I will never be friends with that person. I'll never engage with that person. I will never invite that person to my church. I will never forgive that person. I can't stand that person. Have any of those people in your life? Can't stand them? Can't stand them? And this is literally what's going on in our culture. Separation of of church and hate. It's people going, I can't stand you. And the thing with Jewish disciples, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. The most racist thing that you could ever say back in that day was, dude, you're a Samaritan. It was a derogatory term. And what's so amazing is Jesus just flipped the script. Now every time we think about Samaritan, we think of the word good. Because Jesus saw something good in the Samaritan. See, we think of Samaritans and we have them in our life. They're people we can't stand. They're similar to us. That's what the Jewish people believed. They were similar because they were half Jewish, but they were different because they were Gentiles. That's crazy. In our own culture, we have people who are similar to us. They're American, yet they're Democrats. They're American, yet they're Republicans. They're American, yet they're Packers fans. They're American, and we can go on and on, and we see only the difference. And because of that difference, we push it away. And so we surround our lives with people who look like us, act like us, vote like us, dress like us. If you really want to see if your life really lives up to a life of dignity that Acts 1-8 teaches, just go through your phone. Look at the last five people that you texted. Do they look like you? Act like you? Vote like you? Think like you? Dress like you? How diverse is your friendships? I'm not even just talking in in nationality or race. I'm talking about in in beliefs. And the crazy thing is it doesn't just stop in Samaria. Jesus says, oh yeah, this gets even better. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you're going to bear witness in the ends of the world. And what's that? 
ends of the earth are people you have no desire to understand. See, there are people that we think that are less than, there are people that we can't stand, and there are people we have no desire to understand. It's like Syrian refugees. People who are fleeing their country because of just absolute tragedy and trauma. People who are atheists or agnostic. People have different views of sexuality, and we're like, I don't want to ever talk to you. And there's no desire to get curious or listen like Pastor Dan talked about last week and be civil. All we do is there's no desire to literally engage that, so we just run away. See, Jerusalem's the familiar place, and we all have it. Judea, the people that we think are less than. Samaria, the people we can't stand. And the ends of the earth, the people we have no desire to understand. But here's the crazy thing. If you really dive into this book and you get to the end of Revelation and you start flipping through that book, you begin to see God's heartbeat for every tongue, tribe, and nation. And he says that one day there's going to be a new Jerusalem where every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to be present. Those who have given their life to Christ. And literally they're going to gather together and they're going to live for eternity worshiping and celebrating God's goodness. And friends, I'm here to tell you, what's the new Jerusalem? It's our eternal homeland. And this life is preparation for the life to come. And if you find yourself living your life in such a safe way where you don't interact with people who are different, you don't actually interact with people you can't stand, you don't interact with people you have no desire to understand, can I tell you something? Heaven is going to be really difficult for you. Because you're going to have all these different nationalities, all these different people. There's going to be Ohio State Buckeye fans in heaven. It doesn't make sense to me. But God loves everyone always. It's the truth. And so you got to understand this. And then you flip to like the book of Galatians, chapters 3. And Galatians 3, 28 says, hey, friends, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. This is the perspective. See, when the Spirit's power comes upon you, you don't see difference. What you see is the goodness in another. And for many of us, we just miss this. We miss it. That always just confounds me. Because why would we want to miss that? Why would we want to miss out on what like, God wants to do? Why would we want to start in Genesis 3 when the Bible starts in Genesis 1? Why would we not want more of the Spirit's power? Why would we want to partner with Jesus? Why would we choose the safety and familiar and being in control over being desperate and expectant and dependent on the Spirit and on the teachings of Jesus. So I want to ask you a couple things. First thing is this. you got to understand is when we withhold recognizing the dignity of others, we miss out on four, four powerful truths. The first one is this. We miss out on the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Because in Acts 1 it says the Spirit's power is going to come upon you. But if you say, you know what I just want to do? I just want to stay safe and comfortable. 
It's like you are pushing away that dynamic power. And I often will sit with young people. I'll sit with people in their 70s. I'll sit with business leaders. And they'll say, man, I believe that there's more. But their whole entire life is predicated in their Jerusalem. And they do not want to actually go on the journey to see the dignity of others. And when you live like that, what you're saying is, I don't want the Holy Spirit's power. I want to be in control. And so many people live like that. You can sing songs. You can worship. And it's powerful and beautiful. But when you are choosing just to live in the familiar, you're missing out on what God has for you. Number two, when you withhold recognizing the dignity of others, you miss out on bearing witness to God's goodness. You miss out on seeing God's goodness in another person. You miss out on the chance to actually learn. Um, if you've ever like, studied Michelangelo, um, not the Ninja Turtle, but the, the artist, and you've ever seen him, he got interviewed once, and they said, man, how do you create like the Pieta? How do you create these amazing sculptures? He's like, it's easy. I see the sculpture. All I got to do is cut away the dead pieces. Sculpture and the art and the beauty is in that marble and in that clay. I just got to cut away and so it can be found. Every person that you interact with, they have this imago Dei, the image of God in another. And our job is to kind of cut away the dead pieces and draw out the goodness in another. Number three, when we withhold recognizing the dignity of others, we miss out on preparing our hearts for heaven. You, you miss out if this life is preparation for the life to come, we miss out on preparing our hearts, our minds, for what heaven's going to be, which is going to be one massive tapestry of God's creation. And this is a chance for us to prepare our hearts to learn, to engage with the Judeans, the Samaritans, and the ends of the earth in our own life so that we are ready for the new Jerusalem. And in a world that's separation of church and hate, you are told by whatever party line that you believe in and whatever kind of thing that you follow on Twitter is often stay in your camp, stay in your camp, stay in Jerusalem, stay in your familiar, stay in your familiar, do not branch out. And what's crazy is the gospel's like, branch out, branch out, branch out, call out, call out, call out, get curious, get curious, be filled with the Spirit and watch what God might do. When we withhold recognizing the dignity of others, we miss out on number four, seeing people say yes to Christ. We miss out. And I believe every one of you has a story to tell. I believe that God actually wants to use every single one of you to actually see people come into relationship. But if we stay in our familiar we miss out on the chance of God's spirit. We miss out on the chance of bearing witness. We miss out on preparing our hearts for heaven. We miss out on God using us to transform another person's life. And I wouldn't be here. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I wouldn't be here. When I was in seventh grade, I was playing basketball with some juniors in high school. And I knew these juniors. Their names were Dominic and Nathan, but they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. And Dominic walked up to me one day after playing basketball and goes, hey, Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life? It's the greatest question I've ever been asked. I was like, yeah, I do. 
He started picking me up. We started playing basketball. Then we go to In-N-Out, which is by far the greatest fast food hamburger on the planet. It's where the Shekinah glory of heaven comes down in burgerly form. And we're like eating and chopping it up. And they're asking me questions. And within six months, I'm giving my life to Christ. And once I get out of the baptism waters, they're celebrating me. They're like, well done. Now you got to go after your parents. And I'm like, what? You go after my parents. Let's go back to In-N-Out. But here's the thing. Once you have a story, you become this reconciler, this messenger to go out and see the dignity. Can you imagine if Jesus came from heaven to earth and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just stay in the familiar. I'm not going to go after people. I'm not going to go after people who are suffering and hurting, people who are experiencing oppression and darkness and addiction. Can you imagine if he's like, no, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to kind of hold on to right here. I'm just going to stay put. You'd be like, what? Oh. Jesus came running after you, and he invites us to go running after others. Last story, and then I'm done. A number of years ago, I had the privilege to go to, to Palestine. And Bethlehem is in Palestinian territory. As part of this church called Rock Harbor, actually Jeff was with me um, at that church, and, and literally... We took a team, 20 of us, to Israel and to Palestine to tour the, the Holy Land. It's about one in the morning, and we're in Bethlehem, and I, I, the, the Wi-Fi at the hotel isn't working, and so there's a hookah lounge across the street that I can see on my phone has free Wi-Fi, so I'm like, awesome. And so I'm walking across the street, and as I'm walking across the street, out of the corner of my eye, I see three Palestinian soldiers in fatigues holding massive guns. And I'm like, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. And I hear this Holy Spirit's whisper prompting, go talk to them. And I'm like, how about you give me free Wi-Fi? <laughs> and I feel this sense, go talk to them. So how do you start a conversation with Palestinian soldiers at like one in the morning? I walk up to them and I was like, hey guys, beautiful night here in Bethlehem. What's your name? They start rattling off their names. They're like, what's your name? I'm like, my name's Steve. Like, Steve. Like, my favorite U.S. actor. I'm like, who? Steven Seagal. I'm like, and literally what I said was, God can use all things for good. <laughs> so I'm sitting here, I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. So then, like, I just started asking him, do you guys live in Bethlehem? They're like, no, no, we live in uh, Balada. I'm like, you live in Balada? Balada's a U.N. refugee camp, 1.3 square miles, where over 35,000 people live. And I was taking this team from California to, to actually go there. And I'm like, would you give us a tour? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, don't bring the guns. Like, okay. So I show up two days later, and these Palestinian soldiers give us a tour of Balada. It's amazing. We get done. As we're leaving it, I'm like, hey, have you guys ever been to that church over there? They're like, no. They're non-practicing Muslims? No. I'm like, really? You got to come. So 22 of us plus these three, 25 of us, we walk into this church, walk down into the basement, and this basement has a well, and this is the well where Jesus gave water, and, and it was the well of the Samaritan woman from John chapter 4. It's the same well. And these guys have never been there, and there is fresh water in this well that you can draw up. It's way better than Dasani. And literally, I just start talking about what you desire, what you hope for, what you long for. And I said, in John 4, Jesus talks about living water and how he's like the true source to sustenance and peace. And I said, does anybody need that? 
Anybody need more of Jesus? Anyone need the one who's the source of life? And the first three people to come forward were these Palestinian soldiers. And we have this moment of like profound prayer. They give their life to Christ. And then literally, like, they walk away. We exchange emails. We start Facebook messaging each other, which, again, is the only redemptive thing of Facebook. And I'm able to check in on how these guys are doing. And I play all of that back. I was looking for free Wi-Fi, and God was looking to expand heaven. And I kid you not, friends. This whole region is exploding. People are moving here. And God, I think, is setting up Valley Real Life for something profound and something special. But if you live a life of the separation of church and hate and do not want to engage, and you just want to stay in Jerusalem, you're going to miss out on seeing heaven expanded. And if you find yourself living a life that says, I want more of the Spirit's power, you will step out, and the people that you have viewed as less than, you will start to see with dignity how God made them. And the people that you can't stand, you will be like, God, teach me to see them as you see them. Cardinal fans, I'm going to see them as you see them. And help me to call out the goodness. And the people that have no desire to understand God, let me see them as you see them. And when you enter into that, you will change the Central Valley. And the question is, do you want that? Or do you just want to sit and receive great worship and some good teaching? Or do you want to partner with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to see heaven invade this area? And when you live like that and you live with dignity, you're not playing separation of church and hate. You are playing the kingdom of God and the greatest story ever told. And God wants to use you. You just got to be willing to say yes. And if you do that, friends, this, life, this church will be on a ride where you will experience the thrill of heaven and God using you. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is what God wants for you. You feel that? You believe that? Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time I looked at that clock. I went way over. Sorry, Dan Shields. Um, We're going to invite Adam back up. He's going to close our service. Thank you.